Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, presented by Easton's new Ultra Micro Diameter Injection Arrows. Injection utilizes the new Deep Six standard for more big game penetration than ever before. Learn more about the injection today at www.eastonarchery.com. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Editor Christian Byrne. Welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today I'm really enthusiastic because we're going to have... Uh, we're going to put uh, our Birkenstocks on and, and get into the ivory tower and have a deep philosophical discussion about the ethics of bow hunting. And I've got uh, a great person to have that conversation with, uh, Randy Newberg uh, from Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Uh, why don't you call it Fresh Tracks with, like, Steve Jones, Randy? <laughs> I don't know, Christian. Make you wonder, huh? John Smith. <laughs> so, Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg, none other than Randy Newberg himself. You can see his show on the Sportsman Channel uh, on Thursday evenings. And, um, you know, Randy, guys like us, we, we we're privileged to spend a lot of time out in the field. And, and every once in a while, we run into uh, situations that uh, just kind of make us scratch our heads. Uh, because when you deal with the issue of ethics, you know, there's a little bit of black and white, but there's an awful lot of gray area. And then with yourself being a TV personality, sometimes uh, the gray areas get even a little bit more muddled because there are certain rules that are imposed upon you from a programming and network standpoint of things that they they do and don't want you to do and, and that can throw a monkey wrench into the hunts oh no doubt and I, someone like me i i say this jokingly i have to go on 12 hunts a year for this tv show um but if you hunt enough you're gonna you're gonna get yourself in these situations where you have we, we, we feel bad personal for you dilemmas. by the way. We, by the way i just just want to pause so we can all take a moment the the, the listeners and i to just Make sure we, you know, that we feel really bad for you. That you got to go yeah. on twelve months. <laughs> I bet I can see the tears right now. <laughs> so you're out there, but seriously, I mean, you're on these twelve hunts. I mean, that's hard work. You know, you're just trying to you're trying to get your footage and, and do your episodes. Yeah, and you know, our shows are all self guided, and they're all on public lands in the West. And uh, uh, everyone says, "Oh, it'd be so cool to go sleep in a wall tent and go on an elk hunt." And I'm like, you know, it is for about five days but after day 80 of sleeping in a tent <laughs> cold weather wet weather uh, the novelty of tents wears off but anyhow when you do enough of these hunts and whether it's archery rifle or any type of hunting you're going to find yourself at times in some of these i don't know if dilemma is the right word but in these situations where you have your inner uh i guess creed that, that you go by that you're you're challenged but then you also for tv we have these production guidelines that all the networks no matter what channel you're on tell you here's what you can do and here's what you can't do um and the one that uh, has struck me recently and it, and it relates to an archery elk hunt in new mexico that i had last year that you'll see on tv next week is uh the the, the rule against arrowing or shooting a bedded animal uh, and as someone who loves spot and stock hunting, especially archery hunting, to me that's like the the pinnacle of what you do is you get that close. And in this instance, it's a bull with five cows. 
and there is no cover anywhere. It's out in a grassland, and they're all sleeping under a couple uh, juniper trees. And I get to 28 yards, and I can't shoot the bull. He's laying broadside in his bed, looking away from me. And because of the network guidelines that say you can't shoot a bedded animal, uh, I couldn't shoot. I'm standing there for 15 minutes, and my camera guy's looking at me like, what are we going to do? <laughs> so, yeah. As part of that, I, I do a lot of talking to the hunter ed groups, and this winter I was at the Montana Hunter Ed Symposium and was asked to speak, and so I asked the question if any of them knew the origin of of where there might be some violation of ethical standards by shooting a bedded animal with archery gear. Uh, and in the entire room, not, they all kind of looked at me kind of funny. Uh, so that, that that's one that that struck me in, in the last year and, and I've had others in the past, other situations, but that's one that I thought maybe a, an archery expert like yourself might have some insider background about where that might come from it. Or if it is out there, is it, is that a common uh, ethical standard that I'm not aware of, or is it just specific to the TV world? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I honestly don't know. I, you know, I tend to agree with you. I mean, if, if the goal, you know, uh, I mean, just take mule deer hunting, for example. Okay, if you mm -hmm. go on a mule deer hunt, uh, pretty much anywhere out west, uh, and you're bow hunting, you know, what, think about what the most common spot and stock tactics are. I mean, a lot of times uh, in the mornings, you'll be watching a buck, right, and waiting for it to bed, and then you know where it's going to be, and from that point, you know, you can you can survey the terrain and the wind and try to come up with a plan of attack, right, to get yourself into bow range. And how many times, you know, do you have a deer that's, you know, bedded in a, in a little cut bank or, or, or a coulee or something like that? And, and as a bow hunter, you're able to come up, uh, you know, if you, if you execute the stock well, you might have a situation where you're able to come to full draw and literally pop over the edge of, you know, a draw or something like that. And, and again, yeah, like you said, you might be six or eight yards away from that deer. And uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to go ahead and shoot that deer if it happens to be laying down. I mean, I think a lot of the controversy, personally, uh, you know, being an editor and a word guy, you know, I'm a word guy, and I think about the whole idea of calling it a bed, you know, and and, and I think it it's a little bit of a bleed over from the non-hunting world, because if you talk about bed, you know, if I say, you know, I'm going to shoot you in your bed, Randy, well, what, what do we think about? Okay, well, poor Randy is tucked in his covers, you know, and he's yeah. snoozing away, and uh, he's in that same bed that he goes to every night, you know, it's in his bedroom at his house, and, you know, why, you know, that, that'd be heartless, mm -hmm. right, to walk in and shoot you in your bed. Um, yeah. Animals don't have beds like that. You know, there's no. any, first of all, it's not a bed, right? There's no sheets, right. there's no cover, there's no mattress. No. And although... Very animals, seldom are they asleep. <laughs> exactly. Most they're of the time they're not asleep. They're they've got their heads up, their ears are, are pivoting, you know, mm -hmm. they're moving their heads back and forth, they're scanning. And typically, you know, the wiser old bucks, right, they're going to, or bulls, they're going to lay in such a way where they're covering you know, their backs with the wind and, and, you know, and looking, you know, basically covering everything where they've got the wind covering them from one direction and their eyes and ears, you know, covering from the other direction. And, 
Yeah, yep. it's not like they're, you know, down for a long winter's nap here. Yeah, and it it just struck me, and it was three years prior to that. I was in a di- on a different elk hunt, and there was a bull bedded in the shade, resting up just away from a herd of cows, and I snuck around. The wind was perfect, and I got right above him, and he was only two yards below me. And my camera and I, we had to stand there for almost 20 minutes before that bull stood up to stretch, and I couldn't shoot him. And after that episode aired, I received so many emails saying, why didn't you just shoot that bull in his bed? Are you trying to show off for TV, or what's the deal? And and when I had explained to him that, look, in the TV world, we're not supposed to shoot him bedded, uh, most of the comments back were like, what? <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I, I was able to, to shoot that bull when he stood up. But the one last year, when the bull finally did stand up, one of his five cows spotted me, just skyline there above them, and she took off, and he stood up to look at, well, what's going on here? And now he's quartering towards me. And I'm just not the kind of guy who's going to take a quartering on shot at a bull, no matter how big he is. And uh, so I'm letting the cat out of the bag of the episode a little bit here, but it's uh, it, it just has me wondering, are... are are we as hunters putting ourselves in, in maybe some strange situations or, or overlaying some perceived ethics that really at the core of who we are are ethics that we're just worried about what the outside is going to think rather than what we as hunters think and how we behave? Right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've looked into it, Randy. I'm not an expert on you know, the rules of fair chase that Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett put out. But, I mean, as far as I know, there's n- I don't think there's anything in there that says, you know, if you shoot an animal in its bed, you know, you can't enter that thing in the, the records program or anything like that. And yeah. And I've certainly, I've never personally, you know, criticized another hunter or, or been criticized about that. Um, it's just, you know, hunting... To me, you know, again, to get a little more philosophical, um, one of the things that I love about the whole pursuit of hunting is that it's such a personal endeavor. And that, you know, while, you know, each state or province, you know, sets rules and regulations, and of course we, we all have to abide by that, there's a lot of leeway within those to pursue it the way we want to. For some of us, it's a choice of weapon. You know, I'm a bow hunter. I hunt very little with a firearm just because I'm more interested in bow hunting. And, yeah. you know, some people prefer to pursue different species. No two of us have to do everything exactly the same. And I tend to be of the mind that as long as... Um, it's legal and uh you know is uh, sporting yeah respectful respectful? to to, to the game that whether you know you want to hunt with a a longbow or a crossbow or a muzzle loader or a long-range rifle where you set up and shoot a mile across a canyon if that's what floats your boat God bless you and have at it. And everybody should have the freedom to, to do it the way that they want to do it. Yeah. And for me, whether it's a, a firearms hunt or a bull hunt, I'm about how close can I get. Uh, you know, and when I shoot an animal, uh, say a firearms hunt, and it's under 50 yards, I'm like so excited. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Other people, 
you know that's not what what is you know their their excitement uh, level is is not driven by that so these archery hunts uh, it just to me and i'm getting ready to go out on some cool ones this year i've got utah archery mule deer i've got nevada archery mule deer and uh I'm just thinking this through about, you know, what what you said earlier about how you what your tactics are for archery mule deer. And uh, that's exactly the tactic I use. I watch them go to their bed, play the sun, play the wind, and then try to get close. And I'm thinking, okay, so now I see this big velvet buck laying there. <laughs> and I can't shoot him. And usually when a mule deer gets out of his bed, he doesn't just stand and look around. He's ejected out of his bed like he hit the ejection seat on a fighter jet or something. Well, yeah, and to me, it's not—it's not a matter of uh, you know should you or shouldn't you. It's just a matter of is it acceptable. I mean, let's just draw another analogy with with baiting. You know, there's there's some people like for instance here I'm in Pennsylvania. Now Mm. you can't bait deer in Pennsylvania, and so for most deer hunters here. It would seem, you know, foreign. It would seem wrong because of the hunting culture that we have in Pennsylvania to to sit over a feeder. And mm-hmm. you go somewhere like Texas, it would be the complete opposite. Well, right. some people, you know, have no interest in hunting over bait ever, and that's fine. Um, but I don't think that means we should ostracize anyone who ever hunts over bait. You know, no. and, and and being someone who gets to travel around, you know, I do it one way in one state and another way in another state or uh, you come to sort of appreciate each thing. So as bow hunters, you know, anyone who picks up a bow, even if even the most modern compound, you're limiting yourself right voluntarily because yep. your efficiency is not going to be what it would be with a rifle. And right. so if you, you want to take that a step further and go to a recurve or a longbow, well, now you're voluntarily limiting yourself even more because you're further reducing your range. Um, so if somebody wants to say, well, I don't want to shoot an animal in its bed, that's fine. But to turn yep. around and say that nobody should, because my, my thing about bow hunting is a lot of times, you know, it's hard enough. Like you said, it's it's hard enough just to get within 30 yards of an animal, you know. Now you're going to start laying four or five other conditions on when I can and can't let an arrow go. It's like, okay, um, there's nothing wrong with doing that if that's the way that you feel. But how hard do we need to make this thing, you know? Right. And and for me, that's that's kind of my thought is, you know, I'm already saying I'm going to do this on public land fighting the crowds. I'm going to do this self-guided all on my own. I'm going to drag a camera guy with me to try to get within this 30 yards or closer. And then when I do it, I got to whistle at him or whatever to get him to stand up. It's yeah, like, it's al- come yeah, on, it's almost <laughs> cut like, me some slack here. Almost like you're, you've been you've been punished for, for stalking in so stealthily that the animal has no idea that you're there. Yeah, and I'm sure there are many other instances that your listeners can think about where maybe they've seen something on TV and they're like, well, why'd they do it that way? Or, and, and a, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they're, they're just kind of intrigued about some of the things we on TV have to do. And, and I appreciate a lot of the, the network guidelines we get because we are a bigger face of, of the hunting activity. And I think we should be held to a higher standard. I have no doubt about that. I, you know, if, if I'm not willing to accept that higher standard, then I shouldn't be on TV. 
Um, yeah. But it's I just get to talk to a lot of my viewers, and, and they ask me a lot of questions like that. And, and when you explain to them some of the things we're trying to do and, and some of the things maybe we're trying to prevent, then they like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But the one that no one still to this day can figure out is this supposed worry about uh, animals in their beds. Well, it's just, you know, another situation that I ran into recently had to do with um, bear hunting up in uh, Canada. I was up Mm -hmm. in New Brunswick uh, last month, and uh, I don't do a lot of TV hunting, but on this particular hunt, I happened to have a a cameraman with me. We were doing an episode for Yeti's Ultimate Hunt, and he told me as we were heading up to camp that uh, another stipulation that they have is that they don't want you to shoot the bear when he's right at the barrel, you know, particularly with his head uh, in the barrel getting bait. And I just kind of like really was taken aback by that because if you're, if you've never, for those of you who are listening, if you've never been on a black bear hunt, a baited spring bear hunt, pretty much any outfitter with his salt is going to give you a little coach talk here before you go out for your first sit and he's going to tell you you know the key to making a good shot on these black bears is to let you know when you see a bear your first instinct you know if you're a deer hunter right is to get up grab your bow take the first shot that comes along it's really not what you want to do with a bear you want to relax let yourself calm down let the bear get comfortable and once they are comfortable they're going to go to the bait they're going to eat and they're going to be much more still and give you the opportunity to make you know a close shot a shot give you the opportunity to draw without being seen and that's how you know pretty much everyone is told to do it so here having been on you know a number of bear hunts and and now having to do this one okay well now i want the bear to come in but i don't want it to be right at the barrel and i'm telling you man it's i do empathize uh with you who has to do this all the time with a camera guy because like that added an extra level of stress for me because i'm like okay i I gotta get a good shot but i gotta make sure you know he's not at the barrel but you know i it all worked out you know i was lucky that we had a bear that came in and he fed for a little while and then ended up walking uh, away from the barrel and just kind of stood there and, and offered me a broadside shot and I was able to do it. But yeah, um, I'm not sure what the reasoning is for all this other than, again, like you said, we, it, it, because it's being disseminated to a, a mass audience, we want to, you know, present hunting in the best light possible. But at the yeah. same time, it is what it is and and if we're saying you know we're either saying that it's that it's acceptable and that it's ethical that it's a you know it's a legal and ethical method of hunting to sit on bait for bears or we're not and and if we're saying that it's okay why does it matter if the animal's head is in the barrel or out of the barrel i mean we're doing what we're doing and i'm certainly not trying to hide from that you know yeah and that's that's probably where some of my struggle comes from is in my show, I want people to see the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, if I miss, they're going to see it. If we screw up, they're going to see it. If we do something that worked out really good, they're going to see it. And so to feel like I have to alter the reality of, of what hunting is because of some norm or standard that the hunting industry is worried about to 
outsiders to non-hunters, I'm I struggle with that, and in fact, I probably have a little bit of my DNA that pushes back on that and says, "No, I want I want the true message to be there." Um, you know, taking your example, I I think about it then. Okay, if I'm a listener and I'm thinking, "All right, Christian wasn't able to shoot at that bear at the what would be the perfect time," in other words, when the bear is most relaxed and you can get the best shot. What's the difference then when an antelope comes into a water hole? We we don't shoot antelope when they're standing there surveying the the landscape. We wait until they come in and put their head in the pond. That's it. You wait, uh, and not only not only put their head down, right? But you wait to see their throat muscles moving because they always fake drinking yep. before they actually drink. Yep. So yeah, exactly the same thing. So you, I, I don't know. know. I wonder if sometimes we as the hunting community are so worried about what the outside thinks that that sometimes maybe we're we're going a little overboard with that I, and i i understand the premise and the worry uh of not wanting bad images out there and we should do all we can to prohibit that and and reduce the likelihood but to me i i also think we need to just be honest with ourselves and honest with anyone who watches us hunters or non-hunters of this is how our activity unfolds and uh and not feel like we got to hide there change anything because of that mm-hmm. well and you know like you said you can certainly understand the the hypersensitivity even of you know some of the decision makers uh, because you know look at the world i mean it is a mad mad world out there randy and i mean just this last week or two this whole thing with uh that young girl from Texas, Kendall Jones, you know, and her safari pictures and, you know, Facebook taking them down and then all the hate pages and the kill Kendall Jones. I mean, you know, as one editorial I read, you know, kind of made the point pretty succinctly, you know, is there not a bit of irony in the fact that you're so incensed uh, by, you know, killing animals that you advocate killing people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's so strange. We, on our show, we did the first ever wolf hunt in the lower 48. And uh, my buddy Matt Clyde came with, and he was my guest hunter, and we shot a wolf. And when that episode aired the following year, following August, I was up in the Ruby Mountains in Nevada on an archery mule deer hunt, had no cell coverage or anything. When we hiked out and I got to the truck, turned my phone on, and it's just vibrating nonstop, and all these messages are from my wife. I'm like, uh-oh, somebody died, some family emergency. So I call her right away. I'm like, what's going on? She said, we're getting all these emails, all these death wishes, and it all related to that wolf episode, and the Center for Biological Diversity had sent out and posted a, a petition to have me removed from the air, and it uh, everyone ended up with all my email stuff and Facebook pages, and it, over 400 of them were actual wishes that I would die some sort of crazy death. And, and like you said, I'm, I'm looking at that thinking, there are some strange people out here where a legal activity of hunting wolves is worthy of hoping some human is dead. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is crazy. But It, it really it, it it is really, a weird Yeah, world. it really kind of gets to the core of um the whole uh animal rights debate if you will though and you know i've had opportunity as i'm sure you have um 
you know, not all of those people are completely off their rocker. <laughs> you know, we don't necessarily agree with them, but you know, every right. once in a while you run into, you know, some people that you actually like, you know, they mm-hmm. just happen to be wrong about hunting. But, uh, you know, the thing I always say is at the end of the day, you know, I, I can talk to you about whatever you want to talk about and try to have a civil debate with you. But if the premise that you're coming from is that my life and a deer's life and a turtle's life all essentially have the same value. And my view is that human life is supreme and all other life is subjugated to that then we can talk until we're both blue in the face. We're never going to come to a place of agreement because I am willing to make value judgments and I'm willing to stand before you in public and say, my worldview is such that human life is the most important and I make value judgments about where the lives of other creatures fall on a gradient. And so if I'm here and you're at a place where you feel, you know, that I deserve to die because I killed a deer or an elk, we're never going to see eye to eye. And that's all there is to it. And we don't need to yell and scream. Uh, We're either going to have to agree to disagree or we just can't be in the same room. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and and it's reached the point where a lot of that is almost a borderline religion is kind of the way I look at it is some of these people, it's almost a religious belief of theirs. And and we all know you don't debate and argue religion and politics. Um, and and for some of those people, you're, you're just not going to change their mind. And the level of intolerance is, uh, is similar to some of the fringe religions, too. Uh, it just kind of is strange to me that people can can look at it that way and, and have a value system where animals are more important than humans. But, hey, if that's what they want to believe, that, that's fine. Just don't try to impose that belief on the rest of the world. Yeah. Now we're getting dangerously close to going into a politics show, <laughs> starting to talk about how, you know, the only thing that the people who preach tolerance can't tolerate is somebody having an opinion that differs from theirs. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, don't disrupt my opinion with facts. <laughs> They're tolerant of everything, as long as you don't agree, or, yeah. <laughs> or as long as you do agree, rather. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell uh, you... Those are things that, that we in the TV world run into at times. Um, some of your listeners hopefully listen to this and say, hmm, I didn't realize that. So. Yeah, and I don't even know what all the rules are. You know, again, yeah. you'd, you'd know better than I. So what what other rules are there? I mean, just... I mean, you I'm know, there's some, some about... Uh, you know, running animals. Uh, there's things about uh, repeated plays of the kill shot. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they definitely don't. They don't want to show like a lot of blood either, right? Or you right. know, focus on on yeah. that. You know, and th- those are all reasonable. I I think that's you know we're we're trying to portray a good image. Um, and and you look at them and and you can understand why networks or why any any group would would want to have some of these standards that, that are out there. Um, and we're all, you know, in any of these production guidelines, you look at it, and the, one of the prefaces is you are a representative of this industry and, and this activity. It's up to you to put your best foot forward. And, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, but I do think some of our members uh, have have feelings that, you know, the, the challenge is this. And to say that you can't stalk a really close to a bedded animal 
probably is, is maybe going a little too far, but maybe I'm nitpicking here. But it just causes me to wonder where else in our hunting communications are we imposing standards on ourselves that that are coming from outside the hunting world that yeah. oh, maybe like, aren't true to who we are. Yeah, it's definitely. And again, there's going to be, you know, some, some of the listeners are going to agree and, and other people are going to say, oh, well, Randy's just frustrated because he didn't get the chance to shoot yep. that bull. Yeah, and, and they're probably going to say that. And I, I've watched the episode many times before we delivered it to Sportsman's Channel, and uh, it's one of the episodes I'm, I'm most excited about because it is a, what I'd call a teaching moment, not about not shooting the bull in the bed, but about working so hard. I mean, people are going to see how hard we worked, how many miles we hiked in this hot, dry conditions. And when we finally get the opportunity the real opportunity is a really nice bull quartering towards me at 28 yards. And I just let him go. I, I was not going to take the shot. And, and to me, there's a lot of times where that message is way more fulfilling than if I would have shot that bull broadside. Uh, yeah, it would have been exciting. But for the purpose of me wanting to produce a TV show that talks about real life conditions out there and, and the messages and the lessons we learn to me that episode has more power than probably any of the episodes we're going to air this year yeah and that that um that kind of brings me to another aspect of this whole tv thing that i wanted to ask you about um how many years have you been doing hunting television randy Six years. My first four years, we did the show On Your Own Adventures, and then two years ago, we changed the title and the format a little bit and tra changed the name to Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. So it's been six years and planning on year seven here this fall. Okay, so six going on seven years. So you've been involved in it for, for a while. And of course, you know, within the hunting community, forget all this stuff we've been discussing and what the outside world thinks of us there's there's a lot of disagreement within the hunting community as to whether you know the 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 rise of outdoor television has been you know helpful or detrimental to our sport right and and um you know just again within because there's a yep. lot of the, one of the most common complaints you know i hear it you hear it we all hear it right is that the outdoor television it, it, it hurts our ability to recruit a new generation of hunters because these kids watch the shows and all they think is, you know, you, you grab your weapon of choice, you, you throw some camo on, you go out in the woods, and within 30 minutes you got to have a trophy class animal dead, right? Because that's the way it happens on TV. And I'm kind of on of two minds on that. And here's what I mean by that. And realizing, of course, that, you know, you have episodes like the one we just discussed. There's not always an animal killed in every show. Yep. But but the thing I always come back to the people who make that complaint is, look, you know, you can say that all day and it sounds fine. But if I was the host of a show and I gave you 26 original episodes every year in which I killed nothing, you wouldn't think that was a very good show. You know, yeah. so if I'm doing 26 original episodes a year, it's probably okay if I have two or three shows with hunts that don't work out. But I darn well better be killing some animals along the way. Or A, you're not going to think I'm a very good hunter. And B, it's kind of like going to be nothing more than a big tease. I mean, there's some expectation on a hunting show that eventually you're going to kill something. 
Yeah, and and to me that gets to the essence of being able to tell a story. And sometimes you, like in our episodes, I've went and looked, and about twenty eight to thirty percent of the time we don't we have a miss or we end up not killing an animal. And those episodes sometimes are the highest rated episodes we have. And I think it's because if you can add a story to it, there's a component that is very relative or or that the viewer can relate to to say, you know what, that's happened to me. In fact, that happens to me a lot. Um, And so I'm, I'm kind of blessed in the TV world in that my story isn't about killing huge animals. Yeah, we luck out and we get some really nice ones once in a while. It's about the story of the hunt and, and trying to make it relatable to how it happens in, in America. And so when people say the comment of, well, it's just about all these private places, they get to go and they shoot 380-inch white tails every week, blah, blah, blah. I I certainly understand when the viewer says, that's not reality. That that That's setting false expectations but i'm in the industry so i know that there is pressures uh in certain parts of this tv industry to to shoot something every week and hopefully next week's even bigger than last week um, and i the, i think we as a as a community need to decide where are the boundaries of that where is it where do we go from healthy projection of our activities, uh, compelling storylines to false expectations and, and feeling what does this do to, to new hunters? I mean, does it set false expectations? I don't know. I, I do worry that, that young hunters are paying too much attention to outdoor TV and not enough attention to their dad or their mom or their uncle or their grandfather or the people we had as hunting mentors. I mean, I, I didn't have Randy Newberg on TV to watch when I was a kid. I had my dad and my mom's brothers and my grandpa. Uh, And that's where my hunting values got instilled. So I'm very aware of what hunting TV impression is to some new hunters, and I take that very seriously. And I, I hope that all producers do. And if we in hunting TV aren't willing to accept the criticisms, then we shouldn't be doing this because we've been handed a very important mantle to the activity of hunting and if we can't uh, accept it when the viewers and the industry and, the, and our members are holding us to a higher standard well maybe we shouldn't maybe we aren't worthy of being handed that mantle yeah there's a lot to be said too for the showing that process like you said the hard yeah. work and the process because you know whether it's a new hunter who you know, maybe doesn't yet fully grasp all the time, especially for a bow hunter. You know, I yeah. mean, I hunting here in in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it, it's pretty challenging, especially if you've got your you know mindset on trying to get a a good buck. Um, and you log a lot of tree stand hours, you know, for an opportunity, and. One thing that I often thought about, you know, my background before I came to Peterson's bow hunting was as a, a newspaper reporter. I did 14 years in mainstream media, and I was lucky the last six and a half years to be a full-time outdoor writer uh, for a newspaper. So I was doing hunting, fishing, conservation-type 
coverage. But before that, you know, I did politics and fires and murders and school board meetings and all that stuff. So I was pretty plugged into the local community. And uh, certainly when you write for a newspaper, you're writing for a very general audience, you know, as compared to Peterson's bow hunting, where I'm writing yep. for fellow bow hunters. And uh, so I used to deal with the antis a lot more than I have to now. And uh, one thing that I always thought would be neat, and I was never able to do this, but I always thought that if I could get one of those local haters, if you will, you know, I had my fans, I call them, you know, sarcastically. If I could convince, I really wanted to go to one of those people and say, all right, buddy, this is what we're going to do. If you think this bow hunting thing is so horrible, you are assigned to shadow me for an entire season. That means every day that I get up at four in the morning, you get up at four in the morning. I will tell you when to meet me at my parking spot. Be in your full camo. We're going to walk into the woods and climb into a tree. We're going to sit there until nine o'clock and then we're going to go back to the truck and change and go to the office. And some days we might leave the office at three o'clock. You meet me back here, we'll go in. This is like a routine that I had where I had some places to hunt not far from work. And just follow me through. Do the the cold mornings, do the early wake-ups, do all the hours and hours of not even seeing any deer, do the times that you see the deer and you can't get a shot, and then, yes, be there for the time that I'm actually able to kill something, and then look me in the eye as a fellow human being and tell me that what I have done is such a mortal sin, because you're going to have a deeper appreciation for it than you ever imagined possible, I guarantee. Yeah, that's... (laughs) But what has struck me in doing TV, and and probably it's, I don't know if it's TV, but maybe as just my evolution as a hunter, is it's finally come to me that, you know what, the reason that that example that you just mentioned, that the reason those people can't relate to us to the degree we relate to each other is we view ourselves as participants in this natural world. Whereas I think a lot of them view humans as spectators in this natural world. Or, or almost like the natural world is the unnatural world. And as hunters, we go there and we hear sounds, we smell things, we, we see things, and it means something to us mm-hmm. because we are there and we are participating. Um, you know, it just is so much a heightened level of awareness and engagement and, and feeling of immersion than taking a photograph or watching it on TV. I, I think that's, to me, I, I try to explain that, and I hope that in our content, in our stories, we, we promote the idea that, you know what, we are different because we're active participants. We are players in the game. We're not spectators. And uh, I, I just re- recently, probably in the last four or five years, I've come to realize that, in a lot of these discussions and debates where I used to waste a lot of oxygen <laughs> trying to, to explain my situation, and just, you know what, they don't get it. And until they do what you just threw out there as what would be a great challenge to that person, until they do that, they aren't going to get it because they still see this natural world as something they don't belong to, and they see it as a spectator activity. We see it as we are part of it, and we're one of the players in the game. Oh, yeah. And and, and you see a lot of cool things out there that really, you know, don't have anything to do with your hunt per se, but they're, they're awesome things that most people never get to see, you know? Yeah. Whether it's, 
Yeah, you know, I remember like first time that I ever saw whitetail's mate, you know, in the wild, like saw a buck mount a doe for the first time. I was like, wow, that is really cool. Like how many people will ever see that in their life? You know, uh, just all the non-game species that you're able to see and the sunrises and yeah, there's that personal connection, like you say, Randy, and that's where, um, you know, it's not just in hunting versus anti-hunting. It's so many things in life. People who are on opposite sides of the issue, we don't take time to stop and think about the passion and the humanity that's part of it all, you know, because we want to, we're all guilty of it. You know, we demonize the other side. And uh, if we have to force ourselves to stop and, and look at the opponent as, you know, a fellow person, you know, with the same feelings and families that we have, it's a lot harder to, you know, be so vitriolic in the way that we treat each other. That's why I always say that the internet is the lowest form of human communication because it's the anonymity of, of online just allows people for somehow to feel the freedom to do and say things that they would never do, you know, in person. Oh, you're exactly right. I manage a very large internet forum called hunttalk.com. And, and it is amazing how even hunters among themselves, uh, with the anonymous, you know, firewall if you want to call it that of of the internet it definitely brings out the worst of people at times but then there's also times where it can form a community of people with with like kind interests that probably would never get a chance to to be a community just due to the geographic separation so i and when you bring that up it makes me think about just how hunting is evolving like the rest of our society um, and as you evolve and grow, you have some pains along the way. And I think we as hunters are, are no different than other facets of society in that when we have these growing pains, sometimes they're easy discussions, sometimes they're difficult discussions. But working it through among ourselves and keeping true to our core values is what's going to get us to the next phase. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's a really interesting conversation today and very different than what we usually deal with at Peterson's bow hunting. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking technical aspects of bow hunting and new gear. And, you know, it's good every once in a while to take, uh, take some time away from that and talk about this big picture philosophical stuff, because at the end of the day, um, you know, that's, the, that's where the, the passion comes from. Oh, you know? yeah. And, and for me, if I'm not having fun doing this, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> Think about it. We live in the United States of America. We have public hunting opportunity where the rank and file people get to be hunters. We as hunters have built this amazing conservation miracle over the last 75 to 100 years. And I'm lucky enough to live here where nothing more than the price of the tag and the effort to go there is all I need to do it. I mean, if that doesn't make you smile and make you realize how fun this can be, then I don't know that I can help the person. <laughs> yeah, and and give Randy some props, listeners. You know, like he said, he's he's not out there on the the five thousand acre private, you know, uh, managed deer property hunting. You know, he's doing this uh, all on public land and and getting after it. So I certainly respect you for that, Randy. It's uh, 
and imagine it's a bit of a challenge trying to produce a television show all on public land and you can't control who else is out there and hey you can have a a whole gaggle of uh, other hunters come across your path at any given moment out there yeah it it adds another level but that's i think that's why a lot of people can relate to our our uh message and like i tell people if it was about having a good looking host that that uh, is why people found our show so popular well we i've proven that that's not the case so uh, it must be the story that we have to tell that, that's that's the only thing i can attribute our success to well listen man again i appreciate your time before we wrap it up tell people how they can uh connect with you and your show uh, you know so- yeah. social media online all that good stuff yeah, you can uh, find our our show on Sportsman Channel Thursday nights, uh, Mountain Times, where I live here in Bozeman, Montana. We're on Mountain Time at 7.30 and 10.30 on Thursday nights. Uh, you can go to Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. We have a Facebook page. And if you really want to follow us in more depth, I do live hunts on our, our talk forum called hunttalk.com. And uh, when I hit the, the road this fall, Every day I'll be posting updates, sometimes from the field, um, while we're sneaking in on the animal. So if people want to follow us there, we, we sure appreciate it. And Christian, I really appreciate you taking the time and inviting me to be here. I, I really enjoyed the discussion. Well, yeah, man, it was good. Uh, hopefully uh, the listeners enjoy it. And uh, tell you what, you know, I've actually uh, been in the same room with you a number of times. I don't know if we've ever spoken face-to-face, but... If I don't see you beforehand, I'll be looking for you at the Sportsman Choice Awards in January. I'll make sure that I get a chance to shake your hand and uh, you'll be able to pick me out of the crowd after that. Well, I sure would look forward to that. All right, man. Well, best of luck to you this fall, and uh, I'll be tuning in to see uh, all your exciting adventures. Thanks, Christian. Have a great season. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio presented by Easton's new ultra micro diameter injection arrows. For more information, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.